Hello and welcome to HiViz, the Cause Chambers Westgarth Construction Podcast. My name is Jacqueline Smith and I'm a Senior Associate in the Construction Team. Working internationally and gaining experience in foreign jurisdictions is increasingly advantageous across many industries. It has also never been more relevant for industry professionals to be active in building and maintaining their own brand alongside that of their company or firm. Why are these issues so important and how can they be used to grow your business? I'm joined today by Sean Brady and Bronwyn Lincoln. Sean is a forensic structural engineer, director of Brady Haywood, and a director of the Society of Construction Law Australia. Bronwyn is an international arbitrator, as well as an international arbitration partner at Cause Chambers Westgarth. So welcome to both Sean and Bronwyn. So we'll kick off our discussion today. I'd like to ask you both how you first became aware of the importance of having a brand. Yeah, I suppose I, I first became aware of the concept of brand was I was working as an engineer. We weren't doing design work. We were doing essentially, I would say, sophisticated problem solving. And the problem was we'd, we'd go and do a really good job. We'd solve the issue or at least identify the issue that had to be solved. The client would be really, really happy. And then we'd go and we'd try and sell that service to, to other engineering companies. And the problem was when they'd say, what do you do? We'd say we'd solve the really difficult problems but people really weren't sure what really difficult problems were and they weren't really sure when they had to give it to us as opposed to to somebody else so the problem was that when we had work and we we're doing work we were doing a really good job but there was no ability to communicate what that benefit was to to somebody else and really the whole sort of trying to get a brand came from from the need that to, to sell what we do we simply had to to get it and of course that was the first step the next step was trying to figure out well what is your brand and, and what do you do? And we as engineers are, are never trained to think like that. We're trained to be engineers and go out and sell ourselves as engineers. So the concept of developing a brand was a really alien concept to me, certainly at the time when, when we started. Well, the concept of having a brand as a lawyer was something that came to me uh, rather late in my career. And it was really because international arbitration, which is the area in which I practice, uh, requires you to be seen internationally. You need to go out around the world. You need to speak at conferences. You need to um, promote your expect- expertise because a lot of your work comes from overseas and a lot of your clients are offshore. So it was in uh, looking for opportunities to not just attend conferences, but to participate in them and and to share my expertise that really made me think about what is it that I'm portraying and, and who am I and how am I going to distinguish myself from all those other practitioners who are doing exactly the same thing. Uh, and as I say, that didn't come as a junior lawyer, that came further down the track. And how would you describe what your brand actually is um, or what is not your brand? Yeah, well, I, I suppose it first came from the concept of what job that I actually want to do and I think that's you got to be very careful of that you got to start well what, what do I want to do on a daily basis and we just sort of looked at the skill set we had in the company and we worked out we were we were really good at understanding how structures actually worked and um, not good at how working out how to design them or any of those sorts of things which is quite different from from how things work in the real world and because of the sort of academic background we, we had in the company we were we were really good at that so the, that was the first thing we could we could do that the next question is well, where and for who do you do you do that? And uh, I was reading a, a book uh, on well, trying to read many books and this sort of stuff. And suddenly I came across this forensic engineering book and read a piece of it. I decided I wasn't a forensic engineer. It sounded very sophisticated. And then read this 
portion of this book which basically set out my skill set and said this is the skill set of a forensic engineer and that was a huge realization to realize this is this is what I do um, and this is why I'm completely different from other design engineers who go out and design things on a daily basis so that was the first piece was to realize you were a, a forensic engineer then the branding became reasonably straightforward after that because you you really had to distinguish yourself from the other engineers. And that seemed like a really simple thing to start with until you realized that we as an engineering profession, particularly in Australia, weren't very good at separating out forensics from ordinary design. In the US, they were really, really good at it. It's the speciality of forensics had been around for about 30 years. But that wasn't the case here in Australia. And once we got our head around that, we could say we specialized in, in identifying causes of failure by being a forensic engineer. And, and once we got to that part, it all became a lot easier. And, and then the interesting thing that came out of that was that the way you sell that became about education. It became about educating people about the differences between design and forensics. And that was interesting because that came from meeting lawyers, talking to lawyers, asking them about the experts they already used and listening to the issues they had with those experts. And what you realized after a while was that these issues were due to the engineers not being forensic engineers. Once you got to that point, I ended up writing a paper. Don Charrett and Melvin very kindly reviewed that paper for me, said, you've, you've nailed it. You've got this concept really well. He, he said, why don't you get this published? I said, where would you get it published? He said, you need to talk to a guy in, in Melbourne Uni called Matthew Bell, who I'd never even heard of. I emailed Matthew. I said, I have this paper. I'm interested in getting it published. He said, you should get it published in Construction Law International. I did. And then he rang me one day and said, we've got this thing called the Society of Construction Law, which you probably haven't heard of. And would you be interested and involved, being involved, we got a, a com conference coming up, and would you come and, and deliver your paper at the conference? And that really was the, the, the beginning of the brand actually working. Suddenly to get on that form and have something meaningful to say that differentiated the, the brand from everything else. And that was the point where I realized, no, this, this is what I do, and now I know how to explain it to people in a way that differentiates me from all the other engineering companies around and, and really articulates the benefit that you bring to, to, to a job. I think as a lawyer that you have a, a slightly different concept of a brand than the brand that Sean's just spoken about, in part because it's a lot harder to differentiate yourself from other lawyers. They have a particular expertise, they have qualities that uh, you know appeal to clients, uh, and they have a similar depth of expertise once they get to a certain, a certain level in their career. So for me, brand is more um, three three distinct elements. The first is that the way you present yourself. Um, and I know that sounds trite, um, but all of the psychologists and communication specialists will tell you that impressions are formed in the first few seconds. So if you want to work in the professional world, you need to look professional. You need to act in a professional way. You don't wear your gumboots to a client's conference. You don't turn up in a swimsuit at a conference to speak to 100 people. You actually fit in and you look the part. So that's really important. Um, the second part for me is values. So for me, my brand needs to represent who I am and the values that are important to me. One of those is integrity. Uh, it's absolutely essential to me that when people talk about me in a professional context, that they um, recognise, um, I hope, that I have integrity, um, honesty, reliability, as well as doing the job professionally. Uh, and so that's a critical element of establish the, establishing the brand. You need to be aware of it. You need to see how other people see you. 
And I suppose it's really important if you're going to uphold a brand that it is something that you feel comfortable with. It took me a long time to realise that actually um, you can take elements of other people's brands or the way that they operate in the professional environment and try to copy it. And you do a lot of that in your early days of your career. You see someone doing something that has been highly successful for them and you think, great, I'll do that. The difficulty is that if it's not really you as a person and it's not consistent with the way, um, with your values, with your ethics, then it's very hard to maintain and it's not ultimately you. So I try to make my brand consistent with what's uh, important to me personally as well as maintaining that professionalism um, and the professional persona in everything that I do in my professional life. Now, that, that, I just add to that as well. One of the really interesting things about brand is that neither of us have really talked about being a good lawyer and being a good engineer. What what happens is when you're, you know, as Brahman says, you get to a certain point in your career and people just automatically assume you're good at what you, you, you do. So that in and of itself being good is not a differentiator and I think a lot of younger lawyers and engineers think well I'll do really well because I'm a really good lawyer or a really good engineer and that's not really the way it works if you're a bad engineer or a bad lawyer you'll not get far but being a good one is not enough and it's not a brand in and of itself and and you need something else to to have a brand as as Brahman says the values and the way you present yourself or or having a differentiator they're really key to to having a distinctive brand that will, will stand out and make people want to pick you over somebody else. Moving to more of the practicalities of what you do to maintain and build your brand, what are some of the uh, tools and activities that you do to help help you in this process? One of the advantages of uh, practicing in the international arbitration space is that there are lots of tools that you can use and there are all, there is always a conference you can go to. Um, so it is important. The international arbitration community, both from an arbitrator perspective and a practitioner perspective, is a global community. Um, your reputation, you know, people all around the world will see what you're doing. They'll know what you're doing if you're working on high profile type cases. I'm taking into account confidentiality, of course, but people hear what you're doing and they watch what you're doing. Doing. Uh, so you need to take opportunities that you know that you see to speak, to share your expertise, but also to learn. So you need to be a little bit discriminate about you know how many conferences you go to and how you travel. But it's a really important part of um, developing the brand and showing people who you are. Um, the other is of course social media. I was um, thinking about how you might go about establishing a brand, or how I might have if I'd thought about it 25 years ago. And um, you know at that time you had to look people up in the phone book, and then you made a cold call, and then you talked to people. They couldn't see you. They couldn't find a picture of you anywhere. They knew nothing about you. Uh, it was so much more challenging then to actually establish yourself and um, to build up your reputation and your brand. Whereas now um, we have a LinkedIn page. We have well uh, Twitter uh, and Twitter again. I was a bit skeptical about because I thought that's where you put things. You know, when you were watching um, MasterChef on television, you put tweets across the bottom of the television screen. But actually, I went to a lecture by a former journalist who talked about disciplined use of Twitter to establish expertise. And I think that aligns with developing a brand. Um, If you use it the right way, you are very conscious about what you post and what you don't post. Um, It can be an incredibly powerful tool. Uh, And you can use it to share, you know, more detailed journal articles that you might um, write. You can use it to tell your contacts and others about what you're doing in the community, um, you know, professional achievements. And you can do it in a way that's not um, seen to be, you know, I'm yelling out and telling everyone what what I'm doing. It's simply 
simply a way of updating your online profile. And all of that has been hugely important um, in maintaining a brand and developing it in the first place. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, when I started off, you started off with the three things you had to do, which was you know seven years ago now, which was write, present and go out and network. And I did all of that. And it's really only in the last two years you realize you're a bit of a dinosaur if that's all, all you're doing. And, and you do have to move to Twitter and, and LinkedIn and the idea of podcasting. That all becomes really, really important. I was reading something recently and it basically said your brand was equal to your reputation plus your visibility. And I think when you come from a professional services background, we're really trained to get the reputation bit right. You know, do good work, write, present. It's the visibility we're not trained on. And I think that's where Twitter and LinkedIn are fantastic, that you can show far more of what you, you're doing and where you are and the sort of stuff you're doing professionally than you, you ever could before. And when we started the company, we decided not to have a brochure because brochures were things I was handed that you know, I had to carry around with me and, and nobody wants that anymore. We, we, we don't want that. And now even a website, I mean, you still need a website. But if I get a call from something, the first someone, the first thing I do is I look them up on LinkedIn to see who they are. I don't look them up on, on, the, on their website. I probably will eventually. There was a, a study done recently, basically said that the number one reason someone will hire you as a professional services person is from a, a recommendation from someone you trust. The big change there's been in that data in the last three years is social media is now reason number two if you go to social media and you see a consistent brand picture of who that person says they are you immediately become much more comfortable with them than you would from just seeing their profile on their website um, because you've got you're able to look at their their behavior over time in terms of what they publish on linkedin and twitter and and, and how they behave and do you think there are any challenges to using social media this way is it maybe easier to damage a brand? Or? I think you can very, very quickly damage um, a well-established brand by being a bit indiscriminate uh, or not as disciplined as you might be in posting something. You know, we tell our children that don't post anything on social media because it's going to be there forever. And I suspect that's the case. But it's not just that it's there forever. It's just that it goes around the world so incredibly quickly. Um, and that's why you really need to know what persona you want to portray and then do the, the, the test, you know, test it every time you go to post. Is this actually what I want the world to see me as? And, um, you know, I've, I face that challenge when I do both litigation as well as arbitration although arbitration is you know my passion and my specialty and occasionally I'll come across a really fascinating case that doesn't particularly relate to the areas I practice in and I have to you know stop and think much as I'd love to tell the world about this and um, publish or speak on it it's not consistent with my brand at the moment and so I need to put that to the side and I need to really focus on what I what I want people to see me as doing and where I want my expertise to be showcased. Yeah, I, I think it's really important to see social media the same as you see anything else you do. Um, but the temptation is with social media is so quick and immediate, you just hit a button and, and it's out there. And you've got to be very careful of that. And I agree with Brahman, you ha if you have a really well-defined brand, every time you interact with potential clients or, or, or your industry, you have to always ask, is this consistent with the brand? And if it's not, you shouldn't do it. If it is, then you consider it. And that makes things so much easier in life when you've got that discipline. It's, it's, it doesn't matter how good the idea is. If it's inconsistent, you simply don't do it. How do you think your brand's changed over your career? Do you think the way that you, you brand yourself now has evolved as you've 
developed in your career? That's a really hard question um, and a really tricky question. And I think the answer is, it. well, I'd like to think it probably hasn't. And I say that because when I decided to get the brand together for the company, of which my personal brand is just completely connected, that was a really deliberate, carefully worked through choice. You know, we, we, we brought some marketing people in, we sat down, we, 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 we worked through all the rules. And when when we got that brand, that was totally deliberate to embrace it and then follow it. So it wasn't a matter of an evolving brand, it was having a zero brand to a 100% brand and then having the discipline to stick to that brand. I think what has changed for me in the last seven years is that we brought those same marketing people back in two years ago, well, probably last year, and they immediately looked at what I was doing and saying, you're writing loads of articles, Sean's very, very nice, but nobody reads anymore. So you have to keep writing articles, but you need a different delivery mechanism for those articles. And that's where we started to move on to the, you know, the blogs on LinkedIn where people can, can read them on, on trains when they're commuting. It's just a different way. So I don't think the brand has changed, but technology has changed how you, you present that, that brand to, to people. There's different and easier ways to, to make them engage with it. I think if, if your brand evolves too much, then you've got a you've got a problem because it's you're going to have inconsistencies and that that will always confuse people. The minute people see inconsistency, they begin to doubt your technical ability and, and your ability to do the job, even though those two things are not necessarily correlated at all. I agree with Sean's comments and I was uh, wondering as he was speaking if I might actually damage my brand if I were to look back and identify some of the elements of it as a junior lawyer. Um, So I'm not going to do that, but I do think it does change. I think that I've become more commercial and that probably is reflected in the way that I present to the market. Um, It's having that focus that has given me opportunities such as uh, sitting as a conciliator on as one of Australia's four designees for exit for the World Bank. And it was the focus that gave me the opportunity to take up the role as chair of the Melbourne Arbitration Centre. So, uh, in you know, in hindsight, it was right for me what I chose to do. But so the brand has, um, I suppose, matured and um, is now more reflective of my practice and who I am. That's just really interesting the way you talk about focus, because from a you know from a, a beginnings, it it never seems sensible to decide you're not going to do certain things. But the, the, one of the key bits of a brand is is the focus, is saying I am. Doing deliberately not going to do this this other type of work or certainly going to deliberately not sell myself as doing this this other type of work and that's a really really powerful powerful thing and people in companies tend to be very uncomfortable with saying we're going to limit the the offering of what we, we what we have but that just makes you more expert in your particular area and that's what people people come to to recognize further down the line if you look back over the way your brand has been maintained over your career can you point to any particular lucky breaks or things that particularly helped you in developing it and maintaining it? For me, it's about having the had the opportunity to meet with people who were not formally mentors, but I could see what they'd achieved uh, in the area that I was practicing in, and it gave me something to aim for. And I think, as I said earlier, that you you probably take aspects of other people's brands and professionalism, and you actually build that into your own brand over your career. And so it was looking at people who you know were on the world stage, were highly regarded arbitrators who'd started their careers in Australia, uh, who weren't necessarily based overseas, which was always seen as a bit of a challenge, establishing a career in the area in which I practice. But looking at them, seeing what they could do, and then trying to replicate in a way, but with my own style, uh, was, you know, what really helped me in the long run. 
Yeah, look, I certainly got a number of very big breaks. I mean, the whole I think the whole trick to this is you just work really, really hard and you write and you try and present and you try and get yourself out there. But at the end of the day, what always happens when you're when you're trying to make it is someone takes an interest and someone helps you out and that's where the magic happens and you know, I said earlier that you know, I wrote an article and that article would have went nowhere without Don Charrett and, and Matthew Bell grabbing that article and, and running with it and that was a big changing thing the, the other thing that was a big step and opportunity for me was uh, when I did my first few presentations overseas and they were done through the Society of Construction Law of which I really didn't know that many people involved at the time but someone said oh you're in Hong Kong you're in London you should talk to these people and see if you can do a presentation and pretty much with you know no background whatsoever those people said okay you can do a presentation and that was sort of my first step onto the international scene and I found it incredibly welcoming um, people helped me as much as they could they put me in touch with a whole pile of other people they said oh you, what you do is really interesting and different and would be really valuable over here and that really opened my eyes to the whole concept of doing this outside Australia but that didn't come from a, a place of me deciding I wanted to do it it was it came from a place of people saying hey Sean you should do this in, in this bigger world and, and that just wouldn't have happened without those people. I think it's right that um, you do get a lucky break but I think it's actually the fact that you have the brand to start with that gives people um, encourages people and gives them the faith to actually give you that lucky brand so it's a, it's a bit of chicken and egg um, yep. but as Sean said it, it, it's about working incredibly hard and putting yourself in the position that when the opportunities arise someone might think of you Yeah I think that's and that's it isn't it one of the ways I sort of think of it is if you've got a really good brand when you meet someone in 30 seconds you can communicate to them what you do and that means that the rest of the conversation you can talk about other things you can talk about music you can talk about books you can talk about movies you like you can get to know the other person and they can get to know you and you can both ultimately figure out whether you want to work with each other if it takes you 20 minutes to explain what you do which is what it used to take me before we actually had a brand you, you ultimately are saying to people i can't really tell you or articulate what i do and i've just used up all the space in getting to know you so i don't even know whether i want to work with you and you lose all those opportunities really 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 quickly so to be able to say in 30 seconds this is what i do and this is how you you know, how i can assist you um that's immensely powerful and very underrated and that's not saying I'm a really good lawyer and it's not saying I'm a really good engineer. It's saying something quite different and, and distinctive. So, Sean, if we could look at one of the specific tools that you use to help with your brand, can you tell us a little bit about what prompted you to start the Brady Haywood podcast and how you've seen your business change as a result? Yeah, I mean, the, the podcast was, was interesting. and the, the podcast came out of a discussion where, where a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine called Nadine, who's a lawyer, and uh, we, were, we were sitting at a conference one day and she said to me, you know, you write, you write fabulous articles, Sean. They're really, really good. There's only one problem with them. You know, nobody reads anymore. And I sort of sat there and said, okay, well, you know, what do I need to do about that? Because, you know, I'm writing these articles and I thought they were, were really, really good. And she sort of put me along the lines of the podcasting and, and the, uh, particularly the podcasting, but also the blogs. And then when we brought our marketing people in and went through all that and sort of formalized it. And really, to me, it's all about trying to engage with people in a, in a different way. It's not changing how you engage. So you still need to write the really good articles, but there's still people who want to read them. It's different people who read the blogs. And then it's very different people, again, who listen to the podcast so you're, you're really trying to say I'm going to take the concept of my brand and the content that underpins it and deliver it in a, in a variety of ways that different people will want to want to engage with and I think they do different they do different things um, blog 
you know, they're usually 900 words long, which apparently takes people three minutes to read. And they're designed to get across a simple idea or a, or a nice concept on, for someone on a train ride. Very different than printing out an article and sitting down and reading it. And certainly very different from printing out a 5,000 word paper and you know, making a conscious decision you're going to read that. The, the podcasts then are, are, are different. Again, they, they tend to be impressed by people who are really interested in things going on in the world. Um, and they attract a totally different listener or, or person out there to to want to engage with them they have a habit of going viral in a strange way they've led to speaking engagements that you'd never ordinarily get and they have this whole concept it's it's funny i meet people who've listened to the podcasts and i don't know them but they feel they actually know me because i've been in their ear for for an hour or two and that's a really weird but in fact very very powerful concept that you don't have to be presenting all the time you can still engage with someone and hopefully get the essence of 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 presentations and the way you engage with people across in a way that you never would in a blog or certainly never would in a paper and it really gives people the opportunity to sort of say would i be interested in working with this person do i like the sound of them um so it, it gets it, it gives people a chance to engage with your personality that they never normally would have and just to bring our discussion to a close, I'd like to ask you both, what would be your advice to maybe young practitioners about what they can do to start building and working to maintain their brand? The first thing I'd say to anyone who talked to me about developing a brand is think about it early. Think about who you want to be professionally, um, not only uh, in sort of the short term but over your entire career and you, you need to bear in mind when you're establishing a career as a, as a lawyer that one of the benefits of law is you re- can reinvent yourself um, as practice areas develop new areas um, you know become the ones that people are looking for advice in so think about it early but it needs to be able to be adapted but true to you you need to make really conscious decisions about your brand uh, you need to develop the brand which aligns with you as a person uh, something that you can be true to and don't give in to peer pressure because I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges to me uh, during my career not so much as in, uh, in the early days or now um, but in the sort of the, the middle stages there when you're sort of five to six years out of law school and as I said earlier you see people doing things that you think wow that's working for them and I should be like that um, and if only I had been a particular type of person or I had had a particular brand I might have got that piece of work but um, when you look at it over the long term you realize that no no that that was not the right thing to do I needed to be true to myself and I needed to be true to my brand and to develop my brand I needed to be brave enough to say no sometimes as Sean said earlier you need to say no to things that don't fit within your focused area and it's a really hard lesson to learn but um, if you you know take a leap of faith and you do it it can actually be highly rewarding Um, the other simple things are being disciplined about the use of social media which we've talked about um, and making sure that your brand really represents your values um yeah i totally agree with everything bronwyn said i i think the worst thing is is you sometimes see people who are trying to develop a brand and my first question to them is what what do you want to do and they haven't figured out what they sort of even want to do and you can't get a brand until you figured out what you want to do uh, so i would sort of say you know what do you what do you love doing because you better love it if you're going to you're going to make this work and um, who else does it and why do you do it differently and that becomes the the foundation of your brand whether it's it's saying i do a different job like a forensic engineer from a design engineer or i am a lawyer as Brahman says like other lawyers but i do it in a different way of a different personal style a different way of, of working with people and um, 
you need then need to to work out that and that's where your your brand comes from but figure out what you want to do first and then make sure that the content you produce is genuine content make sure and, and that's really hard and it takes a lot of work you know you, you can't write frivolous articles and and hope that people will read them and decide you're you're good at what you do you have to write good content that actually informs people that helps people do their jobs and 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 create something and then you know that that becomes part of the core of your brand as well. And then you use social media and all those as tools to, to deliver. Yeah, so, so you know, in summary, I would say you, you work out what you love and what you want to do. And then you work out why you do it differently to other people and who you do it for. And that's really important. And then you just, that's the hard bit. If you've worked that bit out, the rest of it is just a matter of logistics. How do you write articles, network? What conferences do you go to? How do you use social media? But you're in a well-known space with lots of help available there. Um, the, the, the trick is to, to understand how important brand is. And I think some people sort of feel, certainly I see it with engineers, that brand is sort of a dirty word, that the selling is, is a, of what you do is, is a dirty word. It's not a dirty word. That The branding is a way of communicating clearly, simply and consistently with people about the value your service is. And... And that benefits absolutely everyone, you and, and, and the people you see it too. So I agree with Brahman, you have to get into your head the concept that branding is really important very young and start start using it straight away. You can't suddenly develop it you know, when, when you're very late in your career and hope it's going to make a difference. But the problem then is you'll have automatically created a brand in, in people's heads anyway. But rather than you controlling what that brand is, it, they will have controlled what that brand is. And that's why people find themselves pigeonholed in their careers. And they wonder, how did this, this happen? And it's largely because someone else had control, not in a, in a bad way, just everyone has a brand. What really matters is whether you control it and, and develop it in a way you want to. And that's back to the discipline Bronwyn was talking about early as well. Thank you both Sean and Bronwyn for your time. That was a very informative discussion. To our listeners, we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of Cause High Viz. This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances.